Have you ever had a really important meeting? You know the kind, the kind where you know this is a big deal. Things could change as a result of this meeting. And so you spend all kind of time preparing. You're preparing to present whatever it is that you need to present. You're prepared to answer any questions that may be asked. You're prepared to ask questions that need to be raised. You're prepared to listen and to understand because you recognize this meeting is important. And when you head into a meeting like that, you know, there's a cost involved. It, it, you spend some time getting ready, getting prepared. You might have some butterflies. You might lose sleep for a few nights. You might start playing out all the scenarios in your mind. If they say this, I'll respond this way. But if they say that, I'll respond that way. There's a cost involved with a meeting like that. You know that. You know there's this physical and emotional cost. Well, as we continue our study in this hope for the 757 through the book of Exodus, the time has come for God to call a meeting with the Israelites. It's an important meeting. It's a big deal. Things could change as a result of this meeting. The Israelites had to be prepared and they'd spend several days getting ready. And as we study this, I want you to know that God has called a meeting for you too. He wants to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk to you, and he wants you to talk to him. He's called a meeting with you. And as we study this meeting that he called with the Israelites, well, there are some implications in how we are to meet with God as well. I want us to check it out together this morning as we study Exodus 19. We'll begin in the first 15 verses. Let's go ahead and dive in. Exodus 19, verses 1 through 15. It reads, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, from all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all, the, all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Well, 
By this time, you remember Jethro, he had come, he had visited Moses, and now Jethro, he had gone on his way home. And Moses, at the same time, he had the Israelites pack up their camp, and they moved out from Rephidim to Mount Sinai. Now, it's interesting, because God had promised to Moses way back in Exodus chapter 3 that all the Israelites would worship God together on Mount Sinai, and now this is just about to take place. But meeting with God, this is no frivolous matter. This is important, this is important stuff. And so there's this deep divide that God is kind of making the Israelites aware of, this divide of God's holiness and at the same time the depravity of the Israelites. And so for the creation to approach the Creator, well, some things need to happen. And so that so God is getting the people ready for this great meeting. Now, it's important to note that by this time, three long months have passed since the Israelites had their great exodus out of Egypt. And they're about to spend the next 11 months here in Mount Sinai. And as soon as they arrive, you, you get the idea that the people, they're busy setting up camp, getting things ready, that this is where they're going to camp out for a little bit. And Moses, well, he's making this arduous journey up the mountain to speak with God. And as he does, Moses, uh, God calls out to Moses. He's ready to have a meeting, you see. And so God begins by telling Moses, hey, you need to remind the people how I took them out of Egypt, how I provided for them, how I brought them out, and how I did all these things for them. I bore them on eagles' wings. You know, oftentimes in scripture, God, he's going to refer to himself as an eagle. An eagle is sometimes this uh, metaphor for God. And it's interesting here because if you were to study an eagle and, and the way that an eagle kind of raises up her little eaglets, you'll understand that when a mother eagle kind of pushes her little eaglets out of the nest and causes them to fly for the first time, she actually flies underneath them. And that way, if they struggle to fly, they just can't fly, or they run into any kind of trouble, she can catch them on her back. They will land on her back, or she could just swoop in underneath them, grab them, and return them safely to the nest. God is essentially saying to his people, hey, I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall, but I'm going to be right there underneath you. I'm there to protect you. I'm there to get you through this. I've got this. And so th this is what he wants Moses to relay to the people. Remember that I'm underneath this, that I've got this. And so as I make this covenant with you, I'm ready to make this covenant with you, but you've got to trust me. You've got to understand that I've got it. You can continue to rely on me. And so God, he kind of issues the terms of the covenant and it's a conditional covenant. God says, if you will listen to me, then I will do these things. Now we've seen some other covenants in scripture. You might remember the Abrahamic covenant. And in that covenant, there's no condition placed on it. God simply says to Abraham, I am going to make you a nation, amongst other things, but you're, you're going to become a nation. From out of you will be this nation. There's no conditions on it. There's no, okay, Abraham, if you do this, this, and this, then I'll do this. That's not the way it is. You remember the Noahic covenant, perhaps, that after this great flood that floods the whole earth, God makes this covenant with Noah, this promise to Noah, hey, I'm never going to do that again. There's no condition put on it. There's no, well, if things get bad enough, I might. No, it's, it's no matter what, I'm never flooding the earth 
again. But here in the Mosaic Covenant, well, there's a condition. That if you really want to experience the blessing and the joy of being my people, then you've got to obey me. It, you, it just can't happen any other way. If you, if you really want to be his people, you've got to obey him. You've got to listen to him. And God, he's going to outline just three benefits, three blessings, three rewards of being his people. The first benefit is this benefit, this blessing, this reward of possession. It's a tender term that tells the Israelites that, hey, you are the people of God. You really are his. You, you can belong to God. And this is a special thing, right? It's the same way that a husband or a wife will sometimes say, you know what? She's my girl. He's my guy. And we love that, right? Because it gives us this stability, this confidence in knowing that, man, they're, they're proud to have me, that I'm not, I'm not doing life on my own here. We're doing this together. And, and there's this confidence, this excitement that's kind of born out of that. In the same way, God says to you, I've got you. You're mine. You're my guy. You're my girl. I want you with me. You don't have to do this thing alone. You're on my team. I, I've got you. God says there's this other reward, though, this other benefit, other blessing of being, of being in this covenant. And that is, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. You know, Peter will essentially tell us the exact same thing in his first letter. He says that he has made us a royal priesthood. Now, this is a revolutionary concept in the Old Testament times, and it wouldn't be fully understood or even realized until Jesus Christ, because at that time, the people needed a priest. And remember, a priest is someone who leads the people in worship and who also stands kind of between God and the people. So the priests represent the people to God, and at the same time, they represent God to the people. And so the people, the Israelites, they needed Moses. They needed Aaron. They needed this Levite priestly line to come in and to lead them in worship and to represent them to God and to represent God to the people. But today we understand that through Jesus Christ, we all have direct access. We don't need that intermediary. Why? Because we're all priests. We, we are a royal priesthood. We, we are a kingdom of priests. Now, Occasionally, I'll be having a conversation with someone and it'll kind of come out that I'm in the ministry or I pastor a church or something and someone will say to me, oh, so you're a priest. Now listen, I never correct them because they're, they're right. Their understanding of what a priest is may be wrong and I might have to explain that, hey, anyone who knows Jesus is a priest. You understand, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're a priest. And as a priest, your responsibility is to lead people to worship God and to represent people to God and God to people. So how you doing in your priestly office? Are you leading people? Are you causing people to worship the one true God? Are you praying for people and representing them to God? And, and are you, and the way you live, and the way you speak, and the way you do life, are you representing God to people? How are you functioning as who you are? Because you are a priest. We are together a kingdom of priests. God goes on, though, and he says there's this third benefit, this third blessing, this third reward that's attached to this covenant, this promise that he's making. And it's this. He says, I will make you a holy nation. 
that if you will obey me, I will make you a holy nation. Now, we, heard, we hear the word holy, and we kind of shy away from a term like that, right? Somebody calls you holy, and you say, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm, I'm not holy. If you really knew me, you'd never say that about me. I'm not holy. Why? Because we distort holiness, and we think it somehow means sanctimonious. Holiness doesn't mean sanctimonious at all. To be holy means to be set apart and restored to your original purpose and function within creation. And so God says, I have set apart you. I have made you holy and distinct. As a nation, you are a holy, distinct, set apart nation so that all the other nations of the earth will look at you and know, you know what? You're different. The way the Israelites live is different. The way they worship God is different. The way they love each other is different. In the same way, God calls us holy. We are now to be the church, this holy nation. So that when people look at you and people look at me, we stand out as different. Perfect? No. But different in the way we live and the way we love and the way we've been restored to our original and right purpose in the universe, which is to make God known so that he will be seen as all in all. We do that by taking the fullness of Christ into every sphere of society, every corner of culture, by discipling people so that God can truly be seen as all in all. Now, as God makes these promises and he says, hey, here are just some of the benefits of, of, of being a part of this covenant. God said, do you notice that all these promises are collective? It, it, it's all the, the people, the, this community. Why? Because God is building a family. He's not building these special agents who are just meant to go it alone on these covert missions. That's why a time together as the family of God is so important. It's in some ways why, why this is a bit of a challenge because we're trying to connect together as the family of God as best we can in a time like this. But it's time together as a family because God has adopted us into a family. Well, Moses, he's going to take these conditions back to the people. And the people are excited. They say, oh yeah, we're all in. Whatever God says, we'll do. No problem. You know, this is kind of like that young couple who's getting married and they're saying their wedding vows. You know, they don't even think about what the vows mean. Hey, for better or worse, they have no idea what worse means. All they're saying is, yeah, we're in. You know, and, and, and there's a goodness to that. There's a rightness to that because you want to have this optimism that, hey, no matter what, I'm, I, we're making this thing work. It's the same attitude that the Israelites really have with God. Hey, no matter what God says, we have no idea what he's going to say, but it doesn't matter. We are all in because they have this hope in God. At least they did at the time. And understand this, hope pays any cost. It doesn't matter what he's going to say. It doesn't matter what the worst may be. I will pay any cost to make this relationship work. I will do anything to make this relationship work. That's, that's the attitude of the people, at least at this moment. And God says, great, it's time to meet them. We got to get together. But before we do, there's a few things that you need to do in order to get ready. And so he tells them, hey, you're going to have to wait until the third day. So you got two days here where you got to make some preparations, where you got to get ready for this meeting. And the first thing you need to do in order to get ready for this meeting, 
Well, you need to make sure that you have clean clothes and clean hearts. You got to take all your clothes down. You got to wash them. You got to consecrate yourselves. Make sure that you are ready for this meeting. See, this is a test of the people's obedience. Are you, are you really going to listen to every detailed instruction that God gives? Because he doesn't want the people just to come frivolously or not, not with thinking about it. He wants them focused on this. Are the people, they just going to start grumbling and complaining again? Oh, we got to wait a couple days. We got to wash our clothes. Or are they going to respect the details, the instruction that God gives? Because that's part of the covenant, remember? That you got you to be willing to obey. You got to be willing to listen. The people, they're also instructed that, hey, you, you can't touch the mountain. And this is a big deal. You can't touch it because even if you touch it, you're dead. This is a very big deal. And this is really the point of the whole chapter. And that is the holiness of God. Do you see how God is set apart? That he is distinct from his creation. And God, he's impressing that upon the Israelites. That God is holy. And at the same time, they struggle with this sin issue, with their own depravity. There's this separation between the creator and his creation. And in the mountain where God is, is kind of cho choosing to dwell here at this moment, well, it's a picture of that. Because there's this sense in the same way that is the holy of holies, the, whole, the high priest was only allowed to enter once a year. It's this awesome thing to be able to come into the presence of God. And God is impressing upon that upon his people that they would realize, hey, to be able to just interact with him, to be able to meet with him, that's no small deal. This, this is a big thing. The last instruction that God would give the people is to refrain from any kind of sexual activity for two days. Okay, it's only two days, but the point here is, hey, I want you focused just on me. I want you thinking about me. I want you focused on me. I want you prepared for this meeting because it's a big deal. I want you focused on anybody else for these two days. Now, the big takeaway for us as we kind of look at these instructions that God gave the Israelites as they were about to meet, and some of them we look at and we say, well, that seems kind of funny, you know, wash your clothes and stand from sexual activity, don't touch a mountain. These are kind of weird instructions maybe to us. But the point is this, we must prioritize our time with God. See, God, he's helping the Israelites to recognize this amazing privilege that they're about to have to be able to meet with the creator of the universe. Even though they are the creation, this fallen creation, they're able to meet with the creator. And as with any relationship, if you really want that relationship to grow, well, you got to prioritize time. I mean, you have to prioritize it. You have to invest in it. If you never set aside any time just to kind of spend with your spouse, if you never set aside any time to spend with your kids, to spend with your friends, to spend with your family, well, you know what happens with relationships like that, right? They drift. There's this slow drift that begins to take place. And it's the same thing with God. If you're not going to prioritize your time with him, if you're not going to invest in that relationship, there's going to be relationship drift. And so we must prioritize your time with God. And it's interesting because from this passage, we see that in able to prioritize our time with God, we got to do two things. We have to prioritize that time both individually and at the same time in groups. 
the people, they, they have to prioritize and do some things individually. They got, they've got to consecrate their hearts. They've got to clean their clothes. They have to not touch the mountain. They have to abstain from sexual activity. Nobody else can do that for them. Nobody else can just say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I covered that all for you. You don't have to worry about that anymore. No, they have to do that themselves. And then at the same time, they're going to meet together with God as a group, as a family, as a nation. That they can't do that alone. They have to do that with the group. See, in order to strengthen your relationship with God, you have to do some things alone and you have to do some things in groups. It takes both. See, in the same way, we, we have to set aside time where we just talk to God ourselves and we, and we tell him about what's going on in our lives and we praise him for who he is and we thank him for what he's done. We study his word individually and, and dive in it, into it for ourselves and we study it and we journal and we make notes and we do all these things. And at the same time, we also take the time to meet with God as a group, as a family, kind of like what we're doing right now. You know, I tell you all the time that you cannot be complete in Christ alone in Christ. Why? Because we are made for relationships. That I've got to be able to benefit from your spiritual gifts and you got to benefit from my spiritual gifts because that's the way we're made. That's the way a family works. And we know this, right? We know this implicitly that um, from time to time, there comes that moment, right, where there's a friend or there's a family member and they say they're dating someone. But for whatever reason, you're never allowed to meet this mysterious person. They're always kept like at a distance and never brought into the circle. And for you, red flags go up immediately because you know, hey, this isn't right. You, you ought to be bringing this person in. We ought to be able to get to know them. But they're thinking, hey, now I'm just investing. I'm going to wait and see how this goes. And then maybe if the time's right, I'll bring them in. But if you want a relationship of any consequence, you know that the best way to strengthen that relationship is, yeah, to have some time together, but also right from the beginning to bring them into the circle so they can be known by a bigger circle. And then what happens? Well, the relationship is actually strengthened because now there's these other relationships. There's other people pouring into it. It strengthens the relationship. See, to strengthen your relationship with God, you need time both alone and in a group. You strengthen your relationship with God alone and in a group. In any relationship of consequence, it doesn't matter what the relationship is, when you invite others to be a part of it, the relationship is strengthened. And when people feel like they can't, say, oh, you're hanging around that person, well, then I'm out. What happens? The relationship is weakened. If you ever have relationships where people say, oh, I can't be around, if you're going to be around them, whatever, the relationship is weakened. And God, he makes a big deal out of this in his scripture. He says, hey, if there is a brother or sister, if there was someone in the family and you don't feel like you can be around them, there's this, there's this gap, this wall that's put in place, what's your responsibility to do? To go to that person and to make it right to make the family healthy again. Why? Because that's what a good family does. That's what a healthy family does. You don't hide about it. You don't just, oh, well, I'm not going to talk about it because it makes me uncomfortable. No, you go and you make it right because that's what a good relationship does. That's what a healthy family does. Well, 
The time has come for the meeting. It's meeting day, and I want you to see how this unfolds. It is unbelievable. Check it out. Exodus 19, 16 through 25, and it reads, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of the kiln and the mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down, come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, The Israelites woke up on that third day to quite a storm. I imagine this was a storm they would not soon forget. I mean, can you imagine a storm like this? Just as the sunrise breaks over the mountaintops, I mean, there is thunder that just begins to clap and it wakes you up. The ground begins to tremble and there's this thick storm clouds just forming over the mountain. And as they're forming, just bolts of lightning come crashing into the mountainside and at the same time there's this trumpet just blaring out and the storm is just getting closer and closer to camp the thunder growing louder and louder the trumpet blast getting louder and louder the lightning strike seemingly getting closer and closer oh I can imagine that the people are covering their ears crying out to Moses what's going on and Moses he gets them and he says all right it's time to go to the base of the mountain and but there's a fence that's put around because there's protecting the people you can't touch the mountain remember You can't touch the mountain. And so Moses, he leads the people to the base of the mountain. And in Exodus, it says that Moses spoke. In Hebrews, we kind of get a little more detail. It says that Moses came with fear and trembling because there's this cosmic upheaval that's taking place as God approaches his people. Yet even with this, Moses, he musters the courage and he speaks with God. God answers Moses with thunder. See, God was creating in his people this sense of awe and wonder that it is a special thing to be able to come into the presence of God. And that's a lesson that we need to learn today, to approach God with awe and wonder. Approach God with awe and wonder. You know, this lesson, it was actually carried through to the Hebrew scribes as they would write down just the words of our scripture. Here's here's how they did it. They would take their writing utensil and they would just begin copying furiously the words that they see from, from this page to that page. There would be this new copy. 
And then when they would come to the name of God, they would actually set down their writing utensil. They would get up, they would go over, they would carefully wash their hands. They would come back, they would pick up a new writing utensil, one that's never been used before. And then they would write down the name of God. Maybe it was Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, whatever the name of God might be. And after they wrote down that name, they would set aside that pen never to be used again. And then they would pick up their old pen and continue writing. Why? Because there was this healthy respect, this sense of awe and wonder as they write down the words of God because it's connected to the person of God. So even writing his name, they recognized, oh, this is a sacred task. How different is it for us today? Oh, so often we approach God so flippantly, almost carelessly, thinking that he's just simply like our heavenly buddy or something. See, we, we understand that he is Abba, Father, and this Father who loves us. And sometimes we can take advantage of that. We don't realize all the ramifications that go into approaching this holy, perfect God, the creator of the universe. Because there ought to be this deep sense of awe and wonder. Yes, we approach God boldly. Yes, we approach God openly. We know that he knows our hearts. And at the same time, we recognize that he has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we can go directly to him. But at the same time, we approach God with awe and wonder. We approach God not trying to change him, but with this sense of awe and wonder and how he is going to change us. See, that, that's what approaching God really is all about, isn't it? This expectation that, God, you're going to change me. You're going to make me more like yourself. I'm going to be better having been in your presence. So, God, as I approach you today, will you do something in me? See, God has called this meeting. He's called us to gather together with him. Yeah, we do it oftentimes together. and We do it sometimes alone because God wants to change us. He wanted to change the Israelites. He wanted to prepare their hearts to get them ready to be his people, this set-apart holy nation, this royal priesthood that would stand out as distinct for all the other nations. He was preparing to give them his law. For, hey, this is how you operate. This is how you're to live in the promised land. This is how you're going to stand out as different. This is how you will be restored to your original function in the universe. This is how you're going to be my possession, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Well, God's called a meeting with us as well. He's called us to be a kingdom of priests. He's called us now as his church. That is the individuals, the ecclesia, the called out ones to be his representatives. He's called the meeting. And he tells us a lot just in this passage about how we're to prioritize our time with him, how, how important it is to, to spend time with him both alone and in groups and to invest in that relationship, to strengthen that relationship. You know, we, we see that if we do that, we come with this sense of awe and wonder, not trying to change God, but expecting God to change us. Because to meet with God, to really connect with him, to spend time with him, to invest in him, well, it causes us to grow. It causes us to, to be changed. But there's some costs involved in a meeting like that. It takes some time. It takes some energy. It takes some effort. But when you hope in God, well, you'll pay any cost because hope pays 
any cost. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called a meeting with us, that you delight to have us in your presence, that you want us to spend time with you both individually and in groups. So God, give us the, the conviction of our heart to set aside that time to invest in that relationship as you would have us do it. God, we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.